Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We're going to continue on our series on the anatomy of a miracle, because I want people to believe in the miraculous power of God. I want you to expect a miracle in your life. I want to kick you out of your natural thinking and bring you over into the realm of the supernatural. Anybody going to join me today? The testimonies of healing and deliverance in the Bible not only inspire us, they instruct us. They teach us how to receive from God. They really are, these testimonies really are a step-by-step -step guide to the miraculous. And if we will imitate the actions of those who experienced a supernatural breakthrough many years ago, as recorded in the scriptures, we will get the same results today. For God never changes. Can you say amen to that? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a deep dive into the events surrounding Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. And before I get to the main point of this message, there are a few little side issues that I want to hit on. I think some of these things may help you as well. This whole story, and you can, you can read it in Acts 15 and Acts 16, but this whole story actually begins with a sharp disagreement between Paul and his original travel companion, Barnabas, on their first missionary journey together, John Mark, who, by the way, was Barnabas's cousin, Mark abruptly left and returned home. And we don't know why, because the Bible doesn't say so. Maybe he missed mama's cooking. I don't know. Maybe it was just too much for him. Demon-possessed people and, you know, and, and, and opposition. Maybe he just said, no, this, this is too hot for me. I'm, I'm getting out of here. Or maybe, maybe, you know, maybe traveling and accommodations were just inconvenient. I don't know. But there are sacrifices to be made for the kingdom of God. Amen? So, as they planned their second outreach... Barnabas insisted that they take Mark with them, but Paul refused. And in Acts 15, verse 39, in the Passion Translation, it says this, it became a heated argument. You know, when the two elephants fight, the deer and the antelope, they need to get out of town right away. <laughs> so this was a big deal. And since they could not resolve their differences, they ended their ministry partnership. And they went their separate ways. And Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and went to Cilicia. It's interesting, they both went to their home countries. And here's just a side thought. It might help you. Even great men of God, men who are powerfully anointed by the Holy Spirit, don't agree on everything. 
So in other words, if Barnabas, such a great man as Barnabas and Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, if they had a disagreement, don't get shaken if you see disagreements between others in the body of Christ. Was Paul wrong? Was he wrong for not being more forgiving? Was Barnabas wrong for putting family ties ahead of ministry? Well, the, the Bible doesn't draw any conclusions. It doesn't tell us. Sometimes, sometimes, my friends, nobody's right and nobody's wrong. It's just a difference of opinion. Are you listening to me? However, one thing to consider is Barnabas is never mentioned again in the book of Acts. And there's another thought, too. In Acts 13, verse 2, if you were to go back and read that, in Acts 13, verse 2, it all began in a church in Antioch. And there were prophets and teachers gathered together waiting on the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said to them, evidently he spoke through one of the prophets, the Holy Spirit said to them, separate Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But as we already mentioned to you, they split up. So here's my question. Was Paul, for the rest of his life, out of the will of God? Because the Holy Spirit said, put Barnabas and Saul, who is Paul, put them together. I've called them for this work. So they separated. So now are they out of the will of God? No. Here's something you need to understand. Just because God gives you a directive, that doesn't necessarily mean that that word is in force forever. I said just because God gives you special direction. I want you to do this. I want you to go here. That does not necessarily mean that that word is in force forever. Now, there is no expiration date on the scriptures. It's always true. It's always valid. But his leadings for your life may only be for a season. See? See, God may say, I want you to go here. God spoke to Elijah if you'll go, remember, if you go back to the Old Testament, God spoke to Elijah during, you know, a, a drought, a famine, and said, go to the brook here and the, the ravens will feed you. Well, eventually, the river dried up, so there's no more water to drink. And then God told him, now go to the country of Sidon. I've commanded a widow to feed you. But Elijah didn't say, no, no, I'm going to stay by this river because I know that God spoke to me and told me to stay here. So I'm just going to stay here until I die. No, 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 no. You need to hear a fresh word from heaven. You see, the circumstance may now have changed. It may be a new season in your life. Some people are trying to go back and relive the past, but you need a now direction, a now word from God. Are you listening to me? Praise the Lord. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, verse 26, it says, And from there they sailed to Antioch. That's Barnabas and Paul. They sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So that verse tells me that when they completed their first missionary journey, they finished the work, the original work that God gave them to do. 
He didn't say, now Barn, you and Paul are going to be together forever until Jesus comes back. No, he didn't say that. Just, just for this particular work. So that doesn't mean that both of them were out of the will of God for the rest of their lives. Are you out there today? Let's go back to our story. Join me in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Here's another point. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Notice this. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So that means the Holy Spirit forbade Paul from preaching in Asia. Now some people read that and they conclude, see, God doesn't really want Asians to be saved. You know, he, he, it's okay for Greeks and Europeans, but he really doesn't want you know, people in Asia to be Christians and that's why there's a few Christians in Asia. That's incorrect. I'm so glad you're here today if you think that. That's totally incorrect. First of all, number one, when it talks about Asia, it doesn't mean the continent of Asia. It's talking about the Roman province of Asia. These folks are living in the Roman Empire, and that province is located in western Turkey today. And second, the Holy Spirit did not say, no one shall ever preach in Asia again. God just did not want Paul and Silas to preach there at that time. Later on, we read that Paul spent more than two years, longer than any place he went to, he spent two years in Ephesus. We have a book in our Bible called the Letter to the Ephesians, right? And guess where Ephesus is? It's in Asia. (laughs) It's in the Roman province of Asia. So you see that sometimes God's no does not mean never. It can mean not now. I said sometimes God's no does not mean never. It may mean not now. Or it may mean not you, someone else. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, doesn't Mark chapter 16, verse 15 say, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation? Yeah, that's true. Well, why did the Holy Spirit stop them? You see, that commission belongs to the entire body of Christ, not just one person in the church. See, if every one of us is going to go to every nation, to every person, then I don't know if there's two, who knows, two billion Christians, then all two billion of us are going to go preach to, you know, the rest of the population. So when you go to a village, they'll say, you know, you're the second billionth person to come to this village. No, no, that's not what it means. This, this mandate belongs to the entire body of Christ. We go on reading in verse 20 that they went everywhere and preached. Actually, the Greek says universally, meaning this message was for everyone But then it says, the Lord working with them. See, when the Spirit of God told Paul and says, not here, no, not there, that was the Lord working with them. Ministry is not something you do for God. It's something you do with God. 
You don't just get a map and say, oh, that looks like a nice place. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by the toe. I think I'll go there. Well, that's how you're going to end up uh, in trouble. You need to be led by the Spirit of God. Why am I here in Nagaland? Oh, because your wife is Naga. Wrong answer. <laughs> There's a lot of people who have Naga wives, and they're not here. I'm here only for one reason, because you love us. <laughs> that's not what I was going to say. That's a good reason, but no, because God sent me. And that's the only really valid reason to do anything. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Notice this also. I, I want to say a little bit more. I'll get to the main point there later on, but hang on. Paul and Silas tried to go to one place, and the Holy Spirit said no. They attempted to go to another place, and the Lord said no. They got guidance as they were moving. Did you notice that? As they were moving. You know, some people say, Lord, direct my steps. Your problem is you don't take any steps. So God's got nothing to direct. It doesn't say Paul and Silas were playing carom board and the Holy Spirit said. They were just sitting on the sofa watching Korean pop and the Holy Spirit said, don't go to Bithynia, Paul. No, no. They were, have you ever tried to steer a parked car? The motor's off, the handbrake's on. Okay, let, let's turn. It's not going anywhere. So you got to get rolling. You got to get moving. Maybe all you have is one step. I think we should go. The Lord's telling me to go. But where? I don't know. But you take that one step, and then God will give you the next step. Some people, they heard from God 20 years ago, and they're still waiting for the plan from A to Z. Well, you'll be waiting 100 years if you live that long, baby. You got to obey God with what you have before he'll give you more. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're listening. Amen? Glory to God. Sometimes we pray, Lord, open the door for me, right? Like in ministry or some other thing. Open the door for me. But what we mean is make it possible. Give me the opportunity. Someone will invite me. Paul could go to these places. Nobody was stopping him. It's not that they tried to go to Bithynia, but of course... They had a, a strike, and none of the trains were running. And they tried to go to Mysia, but, you know, unfortunately, the boat sank, and nobody could travel. No, they, they could go to these places. But he knew in his heart it was not right for him. That's what he means by the door is shut. And if the door is shut, don't try to force it open. In other words, Paul did not determine the will of God by favorable or unfavorable circumstances. This must be the will of God. How do you know? Well, look, the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the children are playing. That, that is not how you determine the will of God. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Hallelujah. So verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. The reason God shut the door on those other places is because he opened the door somewhere else. And if we go where God does not send us, we won't be in the position to be where he wants us to be. Many times God says no because he has a better yes for you somewhere else in something else, you see. Well... 
they decided to go to uh, Philippi, which is the main city in this Roman province of Macedonia. So because Paul had this spectacular experience, I mean, it's really amazing, and we really have nothing else that's exactly like that anywhere else in the Bible where he sees someone from another country calling him in a vision, you see. So that's, that's obviously God's direction. But because Paul had this spectacular vision, you, would, you might think, well, that must mean that when Paul and Silas go to Macedonia, all the people will be standing on the shore waiting for them with a big banner that says, Welcome, Paul and Silas. But it didn't happen. Or you might think, well, since they've had such spectacular, supernatural guidance, that must mean that when they go to Philippi, whoo, big, huge crowds are going to come out and hear them, and everybody's going to get saved. It's going to be a massive revival. The whole nation's going to come to God. And that didn't happen either. Instead, we read that for several days... They attended, Paul and Silas, they attended a small riverside meeting. Small. And only one woman got saved. And she wasn't even from Philippi. That's it. That's it. Kind of a small beginning, isn't it? Just because you don't see impressive results immediately... That doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. They didn't get discouraged and say, man, we've been here all, all these days and just one little woman, little, little snaggletooth woman got saved. I'm going back. I'm going back to Antioch. I'm not going to waste my time here anymore. These people obviously are not hungry. No, no, no. They knew they'd heard from God. Then a few days later, a few days later, Paul cast a demon out of a slave girl. Wow, something's happening now. Yep, and all hell broke loose. <laughs> I said, if you'll pardon the expression, all hell broke loose. The owners of that girl grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the city officials. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 24, it describes the whole ordeal. Let me read it to you. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they were apprehended by a violent mob. What did God do? Nothing. Their clothes were ripped off of them. And they were beaten with rods, which is a very painful thing. Many blows. What did God do? Nothing. They were thrown in jail. Their feet were fastened in the stocks, in irons. What did God do? Nothing. 
He didn't do anything until they did something. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were publicly shamed. Their backs were bleeding. It looks like they might die. They might spend the rest of their life in prison. But Paul and Silas did not get angry. They did not throw the Bible away. They didn't convert to Buddhism. What did they do? They prayed. They prayed. Psalm 145 verse 18 says this. The Lord is near. Oh, thank God he is. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. And that means sincerely, doesn't it? Paul and Silas did not try to get somebody else to pray for them. This verse doesn't say the Lord is near to those who request prayer. Some people, you know, their immediate knee-jerk reaction when anything goes wrong is pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. No, the Lord is near to those who call on him. So you open your mouth and you call on him and stop trying to get everybody else to do what you should be doing for yourself. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But that's not all. They not only prayed, it says this, and they were singing hymns. The Greek word humneo, translated hymns, the Greek word humneo doesn't mean kind of a staid chorale, kind of like kind of slow. A mighty fortress is our God. I might have sang like that, but I don't know. But the Greek word actually means to celebrate in song. To celebrate in song. So they didn't sing the blues. My mama done left me, ba-bum-ba-bum. They didn't join in in some melancholy duet. Somewhere... Over the rainbow. No, 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 no. They celebrated. They praised God. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Now, most people only celebrate when something good happens. Most people, you can tell how their life is by their face. Right? When they come in looking with a, dong, a long donkey face, you know that you know, they don't have a friend in the world. Their mother-in-law has moved in with them. Something terrible has happened to them. Right? But when something good happens, you know, they're all lit up. But these people, they celebrated in the hard time. Come on, you want a miracle? These people celebrated even in the hard time. There was something good that happened. Jesus died for them and rose again from the dead and gave them new life. And that's reason enough for us to sing until we see him face to face. Whether you lost your job or whether you didn't, whether you have money in the bank or whether you don't, you've got a good reason to celebrate. Whether your family's happy or whether they're angry, it doesn't matter. You've got a better reason to celebrate. I'm not singing this morning just because, you know, I got money in the bank or I feel good. I'm singing today because I have met the Savior and he turned my life around and that's a good reason to celebrate. Can I, can I get an amen? Praise the Lord. Now if Paul had been like 
some Christians I know. I wonder if they're here today. If Paul had been like some Christians I know, he would have turned to Silas and said, I don't understand. Life is so unfair. You serve God faithfully. Never once have, been, have I been late to the office. You serve God faithfully. I've given him my all, and this is what happens. I don't understand it. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord why he allowed this to happen to me. And Silas, if he had been like most Christians I know, he would have said, now, Paul, let's just be perfectly honest. You didn't really have a vision. You made that up. You went to some prayer center, and I don't know what happened to you, but <laughs> you're just imagining that, this, that we could not be in the will of God for all these bad things to happen to us. This, we must be out of the will of God. And Paul would have said, you know what we need to do? We need to contact a good lawyer. That's what we need. We just need to get a good lawyer. But no, they looked to the righteous judge. They prayed, but that's not all. They began to praise God. They began to praise God. And here it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. So they didn't do it quietly. Some people bless their hearts. Are we men or are we mice? Pray the Lord. Pray the Lord. Pray the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Even the Lord can't hear you. The angels can't hear you. Nobody can. Even the devil can't hear you. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <laughs> the message Bible says this. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. <laughs> See, the other prisoners, they, the, the inmates, they've been there probably for a long time. They've heard others. They've heard others curse. They've heard others cry. They've heard others angrily issue dire threats and intimidation. But they've never heard this. I said, they've never heard this. They've never heard anybody in prison joyfully praising God. Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo. Hallelujah. Come on, you want to have the miracles of Paul, but do you have the attitude of Paul? I said, do you have the attitude of Paul? <laughs> Come on, hallelujah. And, and the prisoners, the prisoners weren't the only people who heard Paul and Silas singing. Someone else heard them singing. God in heaven heard them. Verse 26, and suddenly, somebody say suddenly. God can turn things around quickly in your life if you'll let him. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. <laughs> now, what kind of earthquake is this? The building did not crumble. The walls did not fall and nobody was hurt. But every door was opened. Every chain was broken. And every prisoner was set free. I'll tell you what kind of earthquake it is. It's the kind of earthquake that God wants to bring into your life. It's the kind of earthquake God wants to bring into this state. 
Hallelujah. You know, we're on a fault zone here in, in Nagaland, so occasionally we have tremors, you know. But I think, spiritually speaking, God wants more than a little tremor. I think God wants, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think God would like Nagaland to be the epicenter of a great spiritual earthquake and the reverberations, sorry, the reverberations of that quake could be felt in throughout India, into Nepal, and Bhutan, and into Burma, maybe even into China. Hallelujah. God wants to shake some things up around here. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Now think about this. Think about this. Paul and Silas were victims of gross injustice. I mean, there's no question about that. But what about the other prisoners? Surely some of them deserved to be in prison. They had committed crimes. But notice their chains were broken too. Their prison door swung open also. Looks like God made a mistake. You're painting with too broad a brushstroke, God. Because God was interested in doing more than helping Paul and Silas out of a tight spot. He's interested in something much bigger than that. He wanted to just demonstrate his goodness and prove his power so that everyone would know that Jesus is Lord. He didn't just want Paul and Silas to be vindicated. He wanted souls for his eternal kingdom, and that's why he didn't move earlier. If it seems to you, my friend, that God is not doing anything to help you, it could be that he's preparing for an even greater miracle to resound for his glory. Can I get a witness to that right now? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, Roman law, these folks are living in the Roman Empire. Roman law required the execution of those who allowed prisoners under their charge to escape. If you were uh, charged, if you were given the task of guarding prisoners and those prisoners escaped, it was their life for their it was your life for their life. So when the jailer saw what happened, he thought it would be better for him to take his own life than to be tortured by the government, the, the Roman authorities. But in verse 28, Paul cried out, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. That's a greater miracle than the earthquake. I said, that's a greater miracle than the earthquake. Everybody's chain is now broken. Everybody's cell door has come off the hinge. And yet not a prisoner escaped. They're all just staying right where they are. Come on, what if in the central jail, the wall came down and all the doors were busted open? Do you think the prisoner would, would say, we're all here? Are you out of your mind? They would run seven different directions. Are you listening to me? But nobody moved. I said, that's a greater miracle than the earthquake. Woo-hoo-hoo. Why? Why? Some of you, if you were there, we know what you would do. Why did they run? Why did they not run? Well, I think here's why. These prisoners witnessed a miracle. And I think at that moment they realized something. 
I think they realized you can be out of prison and still be bound. You could be outside these walls, the other side of these barred gates, and still be captive to guilt and shame, and still be a slave to sin. Maybe, I'm just guessing, I'm just imagining, but maybe sitting behind bars, I'm sure some of them for a long time, they often thought about what it means to be free, day and night. And maybe at that moment, after hearing Paul and Silas joyfully praising God and seeing this miraculous deliverance, maybe at that moment they all understood that if the heart is not free, the man is still a prisoner. We want to be free. That's what every prisoner says. We want to be free. But just walking outside this door, that doesn't make me free. Hallelujah. In fact, Paul and Silas were freer in jail than most people are out of jail. They sang more cheerfully in prison than most Christians sing in church. All my life you have been faithful. Uh, all my life you have been so, so good. Uh, maybe we should put you in jail. Maybe that will improve things in your life. <laughs> I said they, they were more cheerful in, in jail than some people are in church. Shall we say it? Shall we say it? Shame. What's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah, the, the, the authorities put them in jail, but the jail never got in them. The jail never got in them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now the jailer rushed in to Paul's cell, and he said in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice he didn't say, what must I do to keep my job? He didn't care about that. See, miracles not only attract attention, they elevate our thinking to move from the temporal to the eternal. Everybody knew this is God. What happened here? I don't care where you came from or, or, or what you've been taught. This is God. And that tells me something. There's more to life than just paying the rent and having a nice time. Hallelujah. How did Paul respond? Did he say, well, jailer, you have to confess all your sins. You have to quit all your bad habits. And then you have to join the church. And then we really want you to be baptized in River Jordan, standing on your head. No, no, no. He didn't say anything like that. He said in verse 31, believe. First word out of his mouth. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's so simple and so true. Believe. If, you're, if you leave this church building today and someone on the street asks you, how can I be saved? What would you answer? Would you say, pray all night long and then fast for three days? No, he said, believe. Believe. Hallelujah. But it's not enough to tell a man to believe. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him 
and to all who were in his house. They shared the message of the cross because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So some people stand on the street corner and say, believe, believe. And they say, I don't know what to believe. Well, just believe. No, no, you got to give people the word of God so they can know what to believe. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then later, that jailer was baptized. But the believing came first. The believing came first. Verse 34 says, he brought Silas and Paul to his house and fed them. And I like this. And rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. I don't know, but in my mind, I imagine that this jailer, maybe he became the first pastor of the church in Philippi. And he rejoiced. There's a lot of rejoicing going on in this story. He and his whole family, they rejoiced. They didn't say, now who's going to repair all of these broken doors? I don't know. What happens if the authorities fire me? I don't know. No, they rejoiced. They rejoiced because something more important is happening in their lives right now. And it's interesting, the book of Philippians uses the word joy and rejoice 14 times. The book of Philippians, joy and rejoice. Maybe God is trying to tell us something. In four little chapters, rejoice, 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 rejoice. I think God's trying to speak to me. Yeah, you, you're a little slow. He wants you to what? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The next day, the rulers sent word to release Paul and Silas. Praise God, right? And Paul refused to go. That's interesting. That's interesting. Most people, they would scat so fast, they'd be, they'd be halfway to Kohima by the time you, you said you can go, you know. But Paul said, I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. And he said, we're Roman citizens. We never even had a trial. You beat us publicly and put us in jail. And when the rulers heard this, they were deeply troubled because they had broken the law. They themselves had broken the law. But Paul was thinking of more than his own comfort and safety. He knew, he knew how this might affect other people. Others were going to hear that he had been arrested, and that would cause them to assume that he had committed a crime. He must have done something wrong. And if he secretly just slips away in the night, no one will know. So he, he knew that that could unsettle the heart of young believers. So the uh, authorities came, and this time they're very humble. No rods this time. Very humble. And the Bible says they apologized. God will cause your enemies to apologize. God can cause even higher ups to humble themselves before you and say, please forgive us, we were wrong. Hallelujah. But ain't gonna happy, it isn't going to happen while you have that grumpy attitude. You got to rejoice. You got to praise God even in the hard times. So not only were Paul and Silas set free from prison, they were vindicated before all. 
and the message of Christ was glorified and a work was established for the Lord. So here's the point. Here we go. Here's the point. Here's the takeaway. Acts 16.25, this time from the CEV. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God. Midnight. The darkest hour of the day. During your most difficult time. When it seems to you that everybody's against you. Maybe it even seems that God himself has abandoned you. What should you do? Not only pray, but sing praises to God. That's the best time. I said that's the best time to praise God. When things are going well, that's a good time to praise God. But when things are not going well, that's the best time to praise God. Because praise is more than a happy response to a cheerful situation. Praise is a weapon. By praise, we push back the forces of darkness. By praising God, they release the power of God. By worshiping Him, they were ushered into the presence of God. And God only changed their situation. He changed the hearts of men and women. He changed an entire city. In fact, really, if you think about it, he changed history that day, and that's what we're talking about even now. And he'll change your story as well. Glory to God. So the devil made a tactical error. The devil made a tactical error. He overplayed his hand. He thought he was so smart. He thought, I'm going to end the ministry of Paul right now. There will never be a New Testament. It's going gonna, it's gonna to die with him. He thought he had won, but he, he created a tremendous blunder. He bound Paul and Silas's hands and feet, but he should have bound their mouth, and he didn't. And they opened their mouth, and they not only prayed, they began to celebrate. They began to triumph in the goodness of God. Hallelujah. And God responded with a miracle. Stand with me to your feet right now. Praise the Lord.